Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I've been asked uh, some, some user, not user, some listener questions okay. for you. And I keep them anonymous. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but I keep them anonymous. But I'll ask you what they are as like a sound check if you want. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, again, sorry that they're all anonymous. Um, who is your favourite comedian called Beckhill? <laughs> <laughs> She dared me to ask. <laughs> um, does she want me to say that she's my favourite comedian? I love Beck Hill. She's gorgeous. She's, and she's she's getting better and better every year. And she's having her wedding with us this year. So. And now I'm invited. I'm very excited. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's lovely. She's not my favourite comic. I think she's a very good performer. <laughs> she's not. I don't mean... No, I, I think she's very capable. And she is going to go far... But she's not... To me, she's not a stand-up. OK. Um, because she's just clever with her, her cartoons and all that kind of thing. And she's an, she's an all-round entertainer, mm. from children to... You know, anybody could be entertained by her. Uh, but if you want me to say who my favourite comics are, obviously Bill Bailey, obviously... Um, what's his name? Dylan Moran. These are my two top, and then Lee Mack, Rob Rice is lovely as well. He's a good comic now. He took a while to get there, but and he's he's got still got a lot of hard work to do. But he's a great comic. Lee Mack's fantastic, uh, but Dylan and Bill are my top two stand-ups. Odd, odd, odd question. I don't want to make it gendered immediately. Um, do you have a favourite female stand-up? Um, Joe Brand. It would have to be. She's good. Yeah. From my point of view, Joe is just naturally funny and mm. lovely. And there are other comics like Joe Caulfield I like. She's very strong comic. Uh, I like Jenny Clare, but she's a bit potty mouth. Um, I, I feel the same about. There's lots of good women, mm. but they they have a harder time, you know. Oh, I know who who I love is Zoe Lyons. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Zoe Lyons is brilliant. They have a harder time to make it. You, why are you Why are you looking all... No, no, I'm, I'm wondering where you were going with that, that's why. They, it, it's harder for them. In, uh, in terms of the fringe or in general? In general. Okay. 
just it's harder for women <laughs> it's harder to be a woman <laughs> men are just natural show-offs you know women have to just work a bit harder at it Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 54. My name's Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, the Edinburgh Fringe. Karen Corrin is the founder of the Gilded Balloon, which is known as one of the big four venues at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. We get into the history of the venue and their prestigious competition, So You Think You're Funny, as well as the future of the Fringe and her recent move into Pay What You Want shows. I think it's a great pod, and I think it's one that will be useful for anyone looking at taking a ticketed show to the Edinburgh Fringe and is weighing up the pros and cons between the free fringe and the paid fringe, as well as anyone who wants to know more about the Gilded Balloon in, in general. I'm going to keep this brief because it's quite a long one, and so I don't want to blabber on too much, but if you're new here, please subscribe, and without any more delays, this is Karen Corrin. Do, we, don't start. You don't want to start there? Oh, okay. Uh, no. I, have a, I have a few questions on that from people. I'm sure but... you have. <laughs> All right, should we, we'll start somewhere else before then. Um, what I tend to do is... Just like, get to know me. Yeah, no, I, I want to, that's why I'm here. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, are you okay? No, but carry on. In, in, uh, Karen's hurt her back. I'm <laughs> going to edit it out as much as I can, but just letting you know up front, that's not what she normally sounds like. Why did you start the Gilded Balloon, and can you paint a picture of what the Fringe was like when you started it versus now? I started the Gilded Balloon, or why did I start the Gilded Balloon? Is that the question? Yeah. Um, why did I start the Gilded Balloon? Well, I went through life looking for something to do that I really wanted to do. I wasn't sure in my 20s what what my talents, where my talents lay. And, um, I had friends who were up-and-coming comics. They were, you know, at, at stage school and everything. And the Fringe was, you know, it was big then. And, you know, they were performing at places like Assembly... Um, and or church halls and they were saying to me please find us somewhere and that's kind of how I got into it because I got to know some of the new up and coming stand up and I did primarily start the Gilded Balloon as a comedy venue but as the Fringe is it's all kinds of genres and I um, put on quite a lot of different things but my the largest thing the largest genre I put on is comedy Okay, why is it called the Gilded Balloon? Good question. Why is it called the Gilded Balloon? Um, the Gilded Balloon was... Um, it's a long story, but to cut a long story reasonably short, in the Cowgate, there used to be a hat shop, and that hat shop uh, had Gilded Balloon hats. Now, these Gilded Balloon hats were... And this is in the 18th century, maybe 19th century, 19th century... There was a balloonist from, and it's actually well recorded in the National, not in the museum, in the National Library of Scotland. This balloonist, it was the first balloon flight from Heriot's grounds over Fife, over to Fife. And this man was a beautiful man, and he was like a pop star, and all the ladies were in love with him. And uh, they designed a hat, which was like the, the balloon that he flew in. And uh, you could be seen at church hearing these ladies saying, "Where did you, where did you get that hat?" And they said, "Go to the Cowgate and look for the sign of the gilded balloon." And you named your venue. Yeah. Oh, amazing. That's that's a great bit of trivia. <laughs> it is trivia. Uh, no, but it's true. No, no, because uh, uh, I've got. I'm trying to get on. Um, I've got his name now from the Pleasance um, uh, to talk about Anthony? stuff. Anthony. No, it's uh, oh god, 
me and Bob talked about him on Bob's podcast, and he listened to it and tweeted me because me and Bob we were talking about a, pen- a walrus penis bone that Bob had uh, sponsored, uh, and and somehow we got onto the the, the Pleasants from there. Um, it was, I can't remember his name right now. I'm going to edit this bit out because I can't remember his name. Christopher Richardson. Um. Christopher Richardson started the Pleasants, and the Pleasants is obviously named after. The street, that area, is called the Pleasance. It's the same as Assembly, which in a way is a bit strange because then you can't move. Because when Assembly Theatre, which was in the Assembly Rooms Mm. in George Street, and they moved up to to, um, George Square, where they are now, and Assembly Rooms were still there, then it got very confusing for people going to shows. Mm. You know, they sit in a taxi and said, we're going to this show at Assembly Rooms, and they'd take them to George Street. No, no... (laughs) So well, I don't need to have them on now. I don't yeah. <laughs> so naming it after places is not that you know. Whereas the Gilded Balloon, although it was from it was from the Cowgate, it was quite an interesting little fact. Yeah. And I liked Gilded Balloon because it connotates a little bit of fluff and a bit of humour, you know. Mm. And w- when you started, uh, as far as I've been told, the free fringe has, not, has existed less amount of time than the paid fringe. So I assume when you started. It was a paid venue, as it was. Of course. Because I'm trying to establish what the Fringe looked like to someone who doesn't know what it looks like today. Because at the moment, it's, it's I don't know how many hundreds of shows a day. And I imagine when you started, obviously there were fewer. And there were... there Were, were you going to say something? Sorry. No, I'm waiting for you to finish. Oh, okay. Um, so so as, as someone who, who wasn't around when you started your... It's 30 years now, so... 31, yeah. 31, sorry. Um, no, right. Can you can you paint a picture for someone like myself who wasn't here thirty one years ago about how the fringe looked versus how it is now, and and maybe even why you think it's changed to the way it has? Um, the fringe in the early to mid eighties was, I mean, the fringe was always quite exciting, and it was always probably the biggest arts festival in the world. It certainly is the biggest arts festival in the world now, but. When the Fringe, it was probably half the size it is now, at least half. But I started with one venue that had 150 seats, and so we did seven shows, uh, was it seven? Anyway, 27 days, you know, seven shows, 150-seater, and we moved. We went from that to opening round about um, 14 venues. And that took... It took about four or five years. I moved to the building next door, and I, you know, there was other rooms I opened and across the road, and you know, and it. So therefore, it became a little more like a village, and you you programmed the venue, the shows, so that they'd be fifteen minutes apart. So you came out of one show and go into another, and you know, so you can go and see. But that took quite a time. You know, that took about ten, fifteen years to, you know, make it. I do remember a lot of stand-ups and a lot of shows would say, no, no, we don't want to be on that late, no, we don't want to be on that early, we don't, you know, stand-up has to be at nine o'clock, you know, or eight o'clock, or, you know, and I remember, mark my words, he didn't want to be on at seven, and I said, you'll be fine, lots of people will come. Anyway, and he did fine, and I remember Mark Steele as well, having him on, he was on finishing at eleven, or quarter to eleven, and he just kept going and going and the next performer would be walk up and down in the venue and say will you hurry up and heckle him <laughs> you know terrible 
as, as I understand it, um, and I might be wrong because I've never been with the Gilded Balloon, but as I understand it, the time slot does have a bearing on... So it's the venue and the time slot has a bearing on the, the deal that you get with the Gilded Balloon. No. Oh, is it not? Well, you mean it's cheaper if it's in the morning. Well, that's what I was going to ask because you've just because when you said that it doesn't necessarily matter, uh, uh, have, it doesn't necessarily uh, impact you as much as it might do outside of fringe time if you had a show at two o'clock in the afternoon as opposed to August as a month. So I just wondered how you work out the value of the time slot for a performer. Well, nowadays it's it's not as important because um, people know what they want to go and see, and if it's got a good reputation or you know it's already got good crits or the word in mouth is good about it, people will go and see it. I mean, ten years ago, if you had a two o'clock show, it might not do so well, but now, because we've been going so long, it doesn't really matter what time... I mean, a very early morning show, perhaps, might have difficulty, you know, but if if it's good, then, you know, and there's... You know, they work hard and they go out flying and they talk to a lot of people, and, you know, they have a selling hook, you know, then people go but of course it wasn't like that uh, 30 years ago 30 years ago probably I, I can't remember although I've got the brochure somewhere we would start probably we would have a morning show certainly we would have a kids show but there was probably not as many now in one venue you'll have about nine or ten shows a day then there was probably about in fact I said seven shows a day didn't I so we would have seven in one venue okay and about two years into running the Gilded, you started So You Think You're Funny. Yes. Yes. What was the reasoning or, or thought process behind that? Well, you know, Scotland's quite a small country, and of course there's a lot of very funny people, but there's not a lot of places for them to perform, or, and it was to identify new performers, really. It was to find people who wanted to give it a go, you know. So the whole premise of So You Think You're Funny is you can't have worked uh, professionally or unprofessionally for more than a year or up to 18 months because there's so many coming along because we kind of finish we're kind of full by the time we get to May and then there's June, July, you know So, um, but we always get the newest you know. And the idea is to keep a rotation of acts so people can't keep re-entering kind of thing? You can't re-enter no. Yeah. You can only go in once Was it, if you were friends with a lot of comedians at that time or a lot of new comedians, was it awkward to have them were they, were they competing against each other and you were judging them or, or were they just not entering because they knew it was your competition how do you mean people I knew yeah no it, it never worked like that people um, people who I already knew had already you know they were already working in comedy oh, okay. I mean this is the newest of the new that didn't know who to approach how to get into comedy and I mean there's there was, and there still is, a really big comedy circuit in London and, you know, a few good towns in England. But here, now, there's only really the sand, you know. And you can't really make a living from that. You have to go to England and try it out. If you want to, you know, make it, you can do it as a hobby, of course, and that's fine, And you know. I mean, you can live and work as a comedian more now than you ever could in Scotland, certainly. But I started it to discover other comics... And um, the camaraderie is such, and certainly in the 80s, the camaraderie of the comics were, they all supported each other and, you know, it was really, really good. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad now, it's just harder it, because of so many, you know. I mean, it's it's like rock and roll, they all want to be, you know, a star. Yeah, fair enough. 
Uh, sorry, I had Minchin in my head then. Uh, um, <laughs> They're not all Minchin. No. Uh, so, how many co- awards were there when you started that award at the Fringe? Because now there are. There, there was only one. Okay. Which was the Perry Award, which is now the Comedy, the Edinburgh Comedy Award. Last minute one now, isn't it? It's yeah. Last one. minute. Oh. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's still Edinburgh Comedy Awards, but it's last minute. It's going to take a while for that to. <laughs> I don't think. We'll be, are we going to see lastminute.com Edinburgh Comedy Awards? That I don't think anyone's going to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's the only. That had started in um, 80, I think, 1980. Do you think there are too many awards now? Um, no. I don't think there's. Um, I don't think there's many prestigious enough awards um, I think there's nothing wrong with competition you know and that helps the performer work harder and you know have a goal to you know get material together etc but I don't think there's I think our two awards are the best I don't know what other awards there are I think yeah I know a couple of them but I, I, I suppose the best comedy award is the, is the television awards you know the the comedy awards, the TV comedy awards that actually I don't know if they've not been going the last year or two, maybe. Or they weren't televised, maybe. That's uh, well, ironic. But uh, <laughs> I know because Zoe Lyons won the last one. Okay. I think. Um, so so in, Ed- in Scotland there is less of a live circuit outside of the fringes, from what you were saying. Yeah. I mean, we do... Uh, Gilda Balloon does uh, monthly shows at Drygate in Glasgow and we do shows here and in Fife, in Edinburgh and in Fife and we were doing quite a lot up in Inverness but you know we take stuff on tour as well so there is a presence but it's not the same kind of scene although you know it's not as big as it was in in London a lot of the big... um, you know, with Live at the Apollo and all that kind of thing and going into stadiums, it's changed the way comedy works and, and has changed the live perception. It's much harder. Only the good clubs are surviving, really. What do you mean by changing the live perception? As in, Well, 15,000 people going to see one comic is is not... It's nothing I want to see. I have to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, but it's still... It's what... Obviously, the comic that can do that is not going to refuse to do it. Well, apart if you're Bill Bailey, he, he won't go over two, three thousand, which is even that's a lot, you know. Mm. And he's he can be quite because of his music and everything, he can be quite big. Mm. Whereas one stand up standing there, you know, in front of twelve to fifteen thousand people is, you know, I don't like it. It's not got a, an atmosphere, and, you know. There's a delay for them when they hear the laughter, and you know it's not. Comedy was meant to be in small rooms, and with you know you sitting there with a drink and you know having a good laugh, you know. No, I agree with that. Um, why do you, why do you think that's happened? Why do you think people have started to, or it's become not the norm because obviously only a percentage of comedians are doing it, and it's not the majority. But why do you think that has no, but become? People want to, the the comics want to aspire to that, and really? I think a lot of them do. Of course, okay. they do. Wouldn't you say? I don't know. I, I, I've never... Young comics do. Okay. They all want to be Kevin Bridges or or John John Bishop. John Bishop. Um, I don't think... I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'd call myself a young comic. I don't I don't think I'd enjoy that. I, t- I sent my dad to see McIntyre at the O2 because he likes McIntyre. And I remember he was doing a warm-up gig at the Soho. And I asked him if he wants to go and see that instead. And he didn't. He wanted to go and see him at the 
And I remember leaving and my dad turned to me and regretted his choice. And I was quite glad about that because it meant the next time around I took him to see him at the Soho and it was much nicer. Of course it is. Yeah. But I don't know how many... But I think it's... I think a lot of new comics... They are aspiring. They want to be McIntyre. They want to be John Bishop. They want to be Kevin Bridges, you know. And that's not going to happen to most of them. It's just not feasible, you know. I mean, the... The, the the comedians you've named there, all of them are with quite big management. Do yeah. you do you think there's Jack a Whitehall's another one? He but and Jimmy Carr and the, that's another management. Mm. Do you think do you think there's a management push to to do that to make money or do you think it's? I think so. Uh, I think certainly it was off the curb that started live at the Apollo, mm. and you know that was all money. It was all to do with money. And yes, I think the bigger. The, the bigger promoters, the bigger agents, they do push them. And I have to say that there's a lot of really good young up-and-coming comics that I, I sort of think it's sad when they go with the big agents, you know, because I think I know that they're going to change. I mean, Kevin Bridges changed hugely when he went with Off the Curb. Is I it, mean, his, his style of course, was. of course, for himself, it was it was good for him. Well, his his whole look and manner is, you know, I'm not saying he was locked in a room and told to go on a diet, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I can ima- I mean, I've spoken to a few agents and they they guide yeah. the the performer, and some of them literally do what they the name is manage what they want, and I and I'm always curious as to know whose choice it was to to take certain paths. Because you sort of see some people and you think, would you have made those decisions? If, like, there was no management involved, would you have put on a suit and done an arena tour? And, and let's face it, they wouldn't. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But, I mean, I can understand why, though. Because, I mean, there's a, there's a money element, there's, a, there's an of ego course, element. Of course. I mean, it's brilliant for them. I'm just saying it, it's nothing wrong with what they've done. It's just changing the face of comedy for the audience the audience, as you just said, your father went to O2 to see Michael McIntyre instead of going to see him in Soho. Mm. And, you know, that's... And and that your father's privileged in that he knows people who knows comics, you know. So the normal commoner garden person just go, well, that guy from the telly, he's on at O2, I must go and see him. You know, and it's just not good comedy, you know. It's <laughs> just good money. <laughs> As in, so, because I know arena tours in particular, I mean, there's a spectrum of performers who do those, but it's also, it does, it does apply to a certain style of comic. Do you know what I mean? So, like, you couldn't imagine, I uh, can't think of anyone right now, but you, you can't imagine a certain, uh, maybe, a, well, no, they did that, didn't they? The Mighty Boosh did, like, an arena tour. So maybe you could imagine any performer translating it to it, but I'm imagining there's a certain amount of change to who... There is many a comic that would love to be able to do an arena tour to give them enough money just to live comfortably so they don't have to struggle to work. Because doing clubs night on night... I mean, Bill Bailey, for example, he so deserves his fame and fortune because he worked for 20-odd years doing four or five clubs a night and, you know, just working his guts out. And he's a hard-working guy and, you know... And dedicated to his art and his interests and, you know, what interests him. And that's why he's an interesting comic, because he's got lots of different su- subjects to discuss. You know, I mean, comedy that just talks about the girlfriend dumping me and or the boyfriend dumping me, you know, just is, you know, boring. 
What's the, what's the biggest room the Gilded Balloon has? 355 is the debating hall. But, you know, we put a gala on at the Playhouse. You know, we do bigger shows if, if it warrants it and we've got the performer to put it, you know. Was, it, was that designed that way? Because you like a, a smaller, intimate setting. So do you try and keep to just rooms that are a certain... No, no, I would love to have a 700 or 800 seater, but I don't have one. That's down to Pleasance and Underbelly, you know. And you'll have seen yourself, there's a huge competition. When I started, I was the only one, you know, doing a lot of comedy. Assembly were doing a little, and Pleasance were doing a little, and that, and we grew together, we grew. Although um, Assembly is five years older than me, and Pleasance is one year older than me. So, you know... But we were doing this, you know, we, most of the Perry Awards in those days were at one of our venues, you know, and kind of still is. Well, the, the Free Fringe have, have attracted some, but my feeling about the Free Fringe is it's a very good starting point for for new performers to start, but then move up as they get gain their confidence, you know. As in... Uh, move up in uh, like size of venue or you mean to the paid fringe? Yeah, and size you know, we've got small venues too it's not, you know, and that's one of the reasons I'm doing the counting house because it's a much cheaper model and it's a pay what you, I mean it's similar to Bob Slayer's, although Bob and I have had a bit of ups and downs (laughs) uh, I I mean I'm annoyed at him for putting a, a uh, open letter and chortle. I don't really see the point. If he wants to talk to me about something, he can come to me. You know, I just don't get the slagging off. You know, if I have not made a fortune on doing what I do, I do it because I, I, I love what I do. I care about the performers, and I do not rip them off, and I never have. I, f- I think uh, his only the 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 because I, I spoke to him. I don't remember when that article came out, but it was a while ago now, a couple of months, or at least a while. It was when I got the counting house. Yeah, and I remember the one point that I remember talking to him about a lot was the um, the production costs for like to for performers and how he said that his was or his can be lower, and as a result, that yes, it doesn't. But he's giving. I am putting. I am putting in extra equipment. I'm putting in um, an infrastructure. I've got. Um, front of house people I've got I'm running it like a proper venue he gives them a bus or a room I, I actually don't know I know he's got a bus and I know he has a shop but and the counting house was run really badly there was nobody there to help them and this will be different you know because they are they're paying a small amount it's 50p a seat you know it's not a lot of money and they have the opportunity of not losing money but they've got to work hard at it, you know. They, you can't just come to the fringe and expect people to come. Yeah, the, the the interesting thing about this podcast for me is when I talk to some, like, pretty much everyone who comes up to the fringe, whether it be a PR or a touring person or a manager, most of them say, we don't make money at the fringe. We make money off the back of it. That's right. Having a long-term plan. That's right. Is that is that the same with uh, you as a venue? Do you, do you make money off of, like, you said you do sometimes... I don't make money. Oh, sorry, okay. <laughs> It's very rare. I make. I certainly don't make loads of money. Okay. No, I wondered if if you because you said that you take shows on tour and and beyond yeah. the things. And that's so, hard. That's got its 
difficulties as well. In, in what? Like as in, because well, you, you don't own the venue? or No. Have you ever toured? Have you ever... I'm technically on one, yeah. You're technically yeah, on one. Yeah, I booked my well, own tour, so I'm But on you one. only yeah. need an audience of one. I, or Oh, God. <laughs> That's no, but joke. I mean, like, what you're doing now is just me and you. Mm. Um, when you go on tour, you have to sell the tickets, and if the, and if the, the venues don't market you or, you mm. know, don't do as... And you only have two people there, you know. Yeah. So it's it's financial. It can be crippling, you know. No, what I meant is I've um, so I've, instead of doing the fringe this year because I I didn't get like a, a time or a, a venue that I wanted, I booked my own tour and I've, I'm doing twenty no thirty dates now um, around the country and my average audience is about eighteen to twenty people, which is not amazing, but for someone who you know no I, I don't well as long as you've done a budget and you know that thirty if if you you know thirty five percent or whatever it is is, is your break even point then great but I'll, I'll break even at this rate yeah which is fine because I'm looking at it as an investment so that next year when I do the fringe I've got connections with venues so I can just do a tour immediately without anyone else's help that's my aim anyway good great Thanks. it's 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 good to be, you know, um, innovative and think about it and, you know, because it's hard and the people, and it's nonsense that uh, the Avalons and Off the Curbs and everything don't make money. I mean, Jimmy Carr's been coming up for the last 10, 15 years and making money at the EICC, as have, has Craig Hill, as has Daniel Sloss. They come here and they that's one gig that they know that they're going to have, make money off, so... You know, it's nonsense that they don't. When Tim mentioned, when I brought him over from Australia first year, he went home with 15 grand. Money that he would never have thought he could have. And that's because we worked our bollocks off to get him people in, you know. And he was an amazing talent and bloody blah. And, you know, there's not a lot of you know, meteoric stars that come along like that, you know. And he will never have to worry again. And that all started because of the festival. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... I think the thing that bugs me a lot is when newer comedians say it's really annoying that The Fringe isn't this artistic ground for trying new stuff out anymore it's a it's an industry it is. Well, of course it is well no they, they say it's more of an industry showcase now well what's the difference you would so pr- pr- uh, a showcase is showing new work surely i think i think the way that some people see it is you used to come up here and, and hone a show whereas now you come up with a finished show and well yes you must yeah. come with a finished show yeah one that's that you're prepared to be criticized for or i mean critiqued mm. you know you you have to put on a show that is ready to tour. And that show that I saw in Australia in, nine, in 2005, April 2005, um, well, of, of Tim Minchin's, was absolutely... I mean, I said to the artistic director of Melbourne, I said, where has this guy been? You know, he's obviously been... You know, his show was ready, you know? And it's about the performer's commitment. A lot of them come up and, oh, that material didn't work, we'll try that. You know, you've got the material that Tim Minchin did that year and the year after, and the year after that, is ones he does every single night the same. You know, because he's a performer, he's a, you know, he knows what works. And that's what you want to see, you know. So so when you're scouting, because you, uh, when I spoke to Beck about you, um, she, just as a chat before this podcast, I that's mean. quite all right. Um, she I would, know that Beck's the nicest girl in the world. She'd oh, she's never amazing. Say, she'd never say anything horrible about me. No, no, but she was... Um, she might say I shout a bit, but that's all right. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> um, especially in August. Um, no, but I, I was talking to you about uh, your support for the Australian scene and I wondered why specifically the Australian scene um, well there's a very good comedy festival there for a start it's been going since um, well actually they seem to say they've been going as long as me but I don't think it's maybe 25 years it was it was certainly the mid 90s that they started um, 
being more noticed and and uh, it's not nowhere near as big as Edinburgh but you know it was it was getting bigger and actually in the late 80s I started putting on Australian uh, the just you know like the Doug Anthony All-Stars for example which I'm pissed off they're going to Pleasance because they should be coming to me but um, Tim is in a wheelchair now and we would have had to lift him onto the debating all stage so <laughs> but we'll we'll see them I'm sure but Doug Anthony All-Stars they got their Perry nomination with us and um, Greg Fleet came over every single year and that sort of started it off and I ended up going over every year since 1984 95 which festival are you talking about the Melbourne Comedy Festival Melbourne Comedy because there's, there's the Melbourne Fringe and the Melbourne isn't there there's two in Melbourne well there's loads there's okay. hundreds of festivals um, but Adelaide uh, Fringe is just prior to Melbourne Comedy Festival and the Adelaide Fringe is a carbon copy of the Edinburgh Fringe as is Brighton they they use the same concept you know the same they came to Edinburgh and thought oh that's good we'll do it and uh, of course Edinburgh have supported them to do that and they go and do road shows there the same at Brighton oh that makes sense why they only go to those places and London for the road shows yeah so uh, yeah I was wondering why why that festival stands out to you like I mean uh, is, it, is it just the the comedy scene there is what is it about Australian comedians that that work over here then for example or is it just they speak English yeah <laughs> Fair that's, a, that's a big plus <laughs> Because uh, I no, I used to go to Montreal a lot as well. Montreal oh, okay. is much a much bigger. Um, you were talking about it being in industry. You know, it is an industry uh, type. You know, there's a lot of television and everything there. But so I never went to Montreal looking for anything. I would just go to Montreal to get connections and meet people and everything. But in Melbourne, there is loads and loads of young up and coming, you know. And Australians have a great sense of humour. I mean, some of it is a wee bit too below the belt, you know, maybe not my cup of tea. But I mean, Adam Hills, for example, he did four years with the Guild of Bloom before he actually started selling properly. And now he's done brilliantly. Does it matter to you then if they're not your style of comedy to be at the Guild of Bloom? Um, it doesn't matter to me unless they are the sort of Roy Chubby Brown type. I would never do anything like that but I'm not it's I don't always love all the comedy most certainly in the early days I would be more particular but now um, it's bigger you know now we've got more I mean this year I'll be interested to see how Mike Ward gets on Mike Ward is a Canadian guy who was charged with uh, something yeah, yeah I'll have to get you all the details but he, in fact, I think we'll find it's in our little brochure. He um, he said uh, he said he he was charged with uh, saying the wrong thing. You know, uh, let's see what time it's. As in, like a legal dispute. Yeah. In yeah. a in a show or in life. Uh, in a show. Oh, okay. In a stand up. Problem is, I have to hold this mic. Anyway, you carry on talking to me. Well, I, would, I was going to ask about the future of the Fringe too, and, mm. and your opinion on it, because you so you mentioned the Counting House, and I and you're going to a pay what you want model there, and I wondered if there's and if that's because it's smaller venues and um, it's they're not as equipped well, or you know, I mean, it's good to use that model, I think, 
but but not only have that to have um, you know a proper model as well. There it is. Mike Ward, freedom of speech isn't free. Having been sued by the Canadian government for telling a joke, multi-award winning comedian Mike Ward makes his highly anticipated fringe debut. The Human Rights Commission of Quebec now wants to fine him eighty thousand dollars. Mike has decided to get his money's worth by bringing the joke to Edinburgh as part of a show about freedom of expression. Mike is one of Canada's top comedians. His recent tour grossed five million. There you go. He hosts the nine Nasty show aired it on HBO, which is the most popular show at Montreal, just for laughs. I mean, so, he's, he's going to need to sell a lot of tickets to, <laughs> to well for cover 80, that cost. Eighty thousand. I don't know if that. Yeah, he's not going to do it in Edinburgh this okay. year. Yeah, yeah. Maybe next year. You never know. Is it so? So you said it's fifty p a, a seat. Is that how you? So I'm trying because okay, I do free fringe pretty much mm-hmm. always. So when you when you say something like fifty p a seat. It's kind of like I'm wondering if so if the room's fifty seats, you just go fifty times fifty, and then that's the cost for the performer. Or like I said, does it is it a case of it, how much would that cost in in your your um, I've forgotten the name of the venue, the, the actual guild, the the you, I know where it is. TV it. Yes, yes. In TV it. Um, do you do it by like cost per seat there as well? No, no, we do it. Um, yes, we do. How many seat? What the ticket price is? Um, ticket price against seat against. Uh, about 40% and that's the it's called the uh, facility fee what's the 40 oh the 40% is your cut of the ticket no oh sorry that's what the rental but it's called a facility fee oh okay fine okay right I've got three questions I'm feeling quite uncomfortable about asking you okay because they're what I would call misconceptions about what's happened and I wondered if uh, you can totally back out so you don't want to answer them or, and I'll edit it out so you don't you know whatever um, oh, depends what you're going to say yeah fine but I just thought I, I, I tell you how I'm feeling about this right now because, like I said, I let the audience ask what they want to ask, and I make a. You, you, you must remember, I've been around a long time, and there's some people in this world that just have, and they just—I don't know if it's a jealousy or what it is—but they love to slag women off, particularly. I mean, because I'm the only woman that runs. I mean, I've had loads of things in in the evening news and stuff like that that says you just crap about me, you know. <laughs> And, you know, you get horrible letters sometimes and everything. And that's just the way it is. And I have to rise above that, you know, and, and get on with it. What, get on with it. What are you going to tell me? Well, no, no, I was, I was... I can understand people having... It, it's politics in general. You know what I mean? Like, every every, every industry has a... I could uh, never be a politician. I, I'm too far too honest. <laughs> well, no, no. Uh, didn't Tommy recently go there from the start? Yeah, sorry. Um, Tommy is a, a, yeah. an MP and a very good one. Mm. Um, but he's also a very good speaker and you know he's passionate about you know I mean I want the world to be a wonderful place but I don't know how to do it you know I don't know how to fight all these people you know um, do you pay what you want performers have to pay the fee to be in the big four catalogue as well as the main fringe programme yes okay we'll keep, we'll keep them just yes no answers that'll be fine um. <laughs> <laughs> indeed okay second question to that bit what kind of deal gets offered to the pay what you want performers is there a minimum guarantee put for a room size how does the yes split work? it's a minimum guarantee so as in up to a certain so say let's say it's a thousand pound guarantee until it's nowhere near as much as that in, oh, okay in in the pay what you want model i mean i think the highest is probably oh no no that's not true the bigger room it's, it's more the ballroom yeah 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 okay when you got the counting house do you think you were treated fairly in what I as in by comedians or other promoters I didn't read it but everybody told me that they were put it this way there was lots of people 
that support me and said, don't don't listen to them or don't read the stuff. Um, we know that you're fine, you know, that you work hard and everything. And my daughter read it and some of my staff read it, but I didn't read any of the stuff because I just, I'd get angry <laughs> probably. And I mean, I'm disappointed in people like Kate Kotsick who I've known for 30 odd years and, you know, she knows that I am not, making a fortune out of what I'm doing so why she's slagging me off I don't know and John Fleming as well who I've known a long time and you know we, I always thought he was a mate of mine but obviously not I, I missed um, what John did sorry John John wrote John and Kate you know just see how dare she take the free, you know a free fringe venue and all this you know when, when you because I remember in fact you said it earlier on that it was your venue first is it a case of did you I had Eddie Izzard on there I had Lee Evans on there it's in 1991 and I had M- Mira Seal on Seal on there and some great stuff on there and it was a lovely venue there and it was just ruined when I it, you know went out of business financially was it a case of you, you uh, and this is just my perspective on this, was it a case of you saw that it wasn't being run well in your opinion and so for I really I have an affinity with that venue because I started with it, I want to bring it back to, to, to where I want it to be at? Yeah, yeah one, that's one of the things, but it wasn't, it was absolutely nothing to do with the free fringe or anything. It's to do with the fact that I'm going to lose venues soon because there's so much work going on in the university mm. area that I'm going to lose stuff. At TV, it's going to be built on, and you know, I I need other venues, you know. Okay. And I also want to do stuff all year round there. Oh yeah, no, I heard about you. You're starting to. You're going to try. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile. slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Make a club that will be like run weekly gigs. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, is that is that? Um, There's no point in doing that if I'm not doing it in the festival. Okay, um, I have questions about that, but I'm going to finish off the, the just because I figured let's. Put, oh, you've got. To let's just put it all in one big batch, and then that way we can um, move on from the potentially awkward questions. Are comedians allowed to keep the bucket? Oh, sorry, the hundred percent of the bucket uh, in brackets, the tip jar, or is there a split involved there? Um, the rental that they've been quoted. 
they have to reach that rental, which is, as I say, about 50p a seat or whatever it is. So, yes, we, we let them ha- keep the bucket, but until that's reached, we just calculate, we keep it a note of what they've got, and then once the rental's got, they, they can keep it. But it's a 60-40 split in the whole thing. In terms of you putting in production value to that venue, I presume that means that you have a deal with the venue that means that... I pay them a rental. Yeah, on the rooms. I'm paying them. I'm paying them a rent for the whole space. Yeah. Okay, and that, and I assume that deal lasts the whole year, and it doesn't change you in the fringe or anything. So is that why you're able to, like, sort of keep the costs lower for acts, or is it? No, I just did a, with the rental and what I'm going to, what staff I'm going to put in, I calculated how much I would need, in order to make that happen, mm. and then, and that was my starting point. So. I'm not going to make a profit from that venue unless I the bar takes more than it ever did before. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So your, is your business model the same for TV with that, where you make more money on the bar than the shows? No. Oh, okay. No. TV it, I get a small percentage of the bar, but I used to get a higher percentage before, and it's the, it's the students' union that take all the bar money. Oh, that makes more sense then. Sorry, I'm just in my head. This is why I don't make any money. Underbelly are rich because they've got their own bars. I don't have my own bar. And so I suppose this move to oh, sorry, this move to the count to the counting house means that you kind of have a, a bigger cut of the bar, which means that you well, only if if they yeah. have to reach what they they reached when it was a free fringe venue. So okay. it's up to me to yeah. bring people in, kind of thing. What would you do if? Uh, the, uh, sorry, what would you and the other paid venues do if comedians had a boycott a, against the, the paid fringe due to the expense that is coming out of to putting a show on at the festival? Say that again? So I'll, I'll rephrase the question because I think the way they've written it is... I ba- basically, what I do is I copy and paste their questions into a section yeah. and I don't usually grammatically change it, which <laughs> is probably to my own detriment at this point in the <laughs> interview. Go on. I think what they're basically asking is if there was... <laughs> If there was a boycott involved for, for the paid fringe because of the rising costs of doing a show in Edinburgh, how would you react to that? Because I'm assuming you'd always be able to find acts to... I... You know, comics can try as much as they like to boycott and do all the things. I am not expensive. I am not ripping anybody off, so... If they want to boycott, that is absolutely up to them. But there are so many people who want to become performers and be successful that there will always be. I'll always find performers to put in the slots. Do you? I mean, I think it's sad if some really good performers, you know, get all het up. I think they need to talk to the people that have been at the Gilded Balloon and and been looked after and had a good time. You know, and we've got a very loyal. We've got some great staff, and they look after all the performers, and they feel... I mean, Beck, for one, for example, she... I don't think she'd go anywhere else, hopefully not. But, you know, I had, I had Rich Hall when he first started every year, and then and, and um, Ross Noble and um, Daniel Kitson, and all of them, you know, but they all moved on, you know. So they move on. I just have to accept that. Do you think that... The Free Friends Den has perpetuated, not a myth, but like a, a perception of you and the other big four that you're expensive. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm not saying that assembly or underbelly were. I don't. Maybe Pleasance and I are the ones that that work closest together. And I'm not saying that. The thing is, we put in really good equipment to every room, and you know, we give a good service and everything. And it is expensive, but it's not. It's not expensive if you. Because we can guarantee audiences. The free fringe can only guarantee audiences that might not be attentive, they you know, they walk in and out and you know, there's I just think it's it's not as well looked after. You know, I mean they don't have toilet facilities, some of them, they don't have proper lighting, you know. Whereas we make sure that it is as close to a good theatre setting as possible. If, if an act goes with the Gilded Balloon, uh, do they have to, for example, provide their own PR or do you, how, how do you help provide? You no, know, we've, we've got a big uh, press office right. and we make sure that every single performer gets support and, you know, they come and talk to them and you know, they work their guts out, these guys, you know. Mm. And we do, we've got a flyering team and, you know. But we have to pay them yeah, you know you have to have enough money coming in to pay all these people. And I assume because of the infrastructure and the way that your business is built up, that's why you're able to get. No, we, I, I don't think you, can you guarantee audiences. I mean, that's that's. I mean, do you know what I mean? Because it's like yes, I think now we can. People come, and if it's a shit show, they won't come back, yeah. and the word and right they'll be out. Mm-hmm. So some some of them don't get, but honestly. Most of them, because we've now made this hub that is very, you know, so, and and if they go out there, the the audiences are there. I mean, this year it'll be interesting to see how how it goes because the Olympics start at the same time Mm. and that might stop people coming in, you know. How does your pay what you want model vary from, for example, Bob's or or any of the other pre-existing ones? Okay, I have no idea how it varies because I haven't gone into his model. Okay, I mean, I I think just the tonic do it as well, don't they? Yeah. How how would you? How would you? I mean, I think think just hang on one minute. Okay. I'll put you printed. No, it's just something to do with the counting house. Our our models. Oh, okay. What the performer gets from us. A PR team which promotes all Gilbert venues, artists, companies, the press staff will assist performers and provide them the information on how to best publicise their show. The services at our press office should not be seen to replace strenu- strenuous promotional activities by the visiting company. GB is a platform for visiting companies to get the best possible recognition from press, radio, television promoters and other international festivals. Tickets on sale at the Fringe, Gilded Balloon Assembly, Pleasance and Underbelly, bo- underbelly Box House approximately 15 citywide support from a friendly knowledgeable um, team who are on hand to provide advice media sponsorship from the Times and Sunday Times 75,000 brochures distributed through the network (sighs) maximum ticket prices of £10 minimum £5 customer can buy a ticket in advance to guarantee entry or pay what they want like at the end of the show acts keep any money received in the buckets from free customers Amounts recorded at the end of each show and added to the final settlement figures. 60-40 split in the performer's favour on all income, pre-sales and bucket. Facility fee payable is GB is 40% of the total box of receipt or the fixed 
anyway, I could go on. But I think a lot of what I got from what the move was was trying to work out whether what the future of the fringe looks like in terms of if the if it continued with other other of the big four or yourself, well, because you're part of the big four, um, getting the free venues, and even if you because you said earlier on that the free venues are a great starting ground and stuff. So I'm wondering, A, what what it will look like if the better free venues get, not eaten up, but, you know, uh, run by the big four and how that will affect the, the acts coming through that obviously will affect you in the long run. And how, I tell you, let's leave it as that for now and we'll, I'll ask you what... The, but why would we? I mean, there's no reason to uh, assembly have... X amount of venues all around George Square. Why would they go over to, say, the Cowgate or the Caves, for example, used to be mine. I, When I was in the Cowgate, the Caves, I gave them to Underbelly and Underbelly gave them to, to Just the Tonic. I mean, it's more about us working together, I would have thought, rather than, you know, we're going to eat you all up. But that's nonsense. So Underbelly have got lots and lots of other irons in the fire, as does Assembly, as does Pleasance, you know. And all of us, in our own way, help performers make make it where they want to get to. Mm. So, I, <laughs> you know, I just think this professional jealousy, or whatever they want to call it. I mean, I'm certainly not making a huge amount of money. You know, I'm lucky if I'm breaking even. Sometimes we actually make money. The rest of the year, I try and put whatever I make into doing what I do the rest of the year, but even that's not enough to, you know, I've got to do other things, you know. What other things do you do outside of the French? Oh, I've, I've got a small comedy festival in Fife at the moment oh, cool. in April, which I'm making larger. And Katie, my daughter, there is coming into the business, so she's looking to do other things. We, I mean, we have to expand in order to, you know, keep going all year round. It's kind of confusing, and forgive me for being ignorant here, but it's kind of confusing because I've spoken to like Mick Perrin, for example, who tends to not make a a profit at Edinburgh. I've spoken to uh, several different PRs who all say they don't make a profit at Edinburgh. Most comedians... PRs? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. A PR charges £1,500 to £2,000 per show, and if they they do 10 to 20 shows... That's 40 grand. You know, that's not a bad wage for a month's work. Uh, yeah, when I, when I took that question to them, most of them said they, start, they don't just start working on the 1st of August, they've got the bill. Yes, the but they're also doing other things the rest of the year. 40 grand is not a bad... You know, anyway, I, that's up to them. I'm just, tr- I'm just trying to work out, aside from the people who rent flats... Who like who's make like is anyone making money at this festival or is it uh, the city is making money, isn't it? Yeah, the local businesses and yeah, and, and it's not in my. I am not. Um, it's not my. Um, it's not about making money for me. It's about survival, but it's about being passionate about what we do, and it's not. That's not about making the money. I'm not driven by making the big buck. That's not what I'm driven by. You're driven by uh, pushing out good talent and discovering yes. new comedy. Yes, and and not just comedy. It's, you know, good work. Mm. So, 
going going forward in the French, how do you do you see more, or do you, do you think the other three of the big four will take on pay what you want models, or even I don't Parisian? they will. Okay. I don't think they will at all. In fact, I don't think it's what they're interested in. Why did it interest you? Because that venue is not worth. I mean, it's not as good as Tiviet. So therefore, I felt, and I also felt, it would be better to do a model that uh, the younger new um, performer could afford. And we can help them that way, you know, from the beginnings, you know. We can help beginning, and if we do things all year round, we can support them and give them work. So kind of um, between Free Fringe and Nativia? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. So it's kind of your way of uh, discovering people that you might move to to your other venue, or...? Yes, hopefully. (laughs) Well, yeah. And in terms of scouting for acts, how and where do you look for them? Oh, I'm going to have to see Australia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, everywhere. I mean, we were over in New York this year, and I was. Uh, I always go to Kilkenny. Um, we've got a good couple of Irish acts this year, actually. I'm invited to shows all the time to see them, you know. So I just go wherever. I was in Prague. I saw some things. I was in New Zealand in in February. I got. In fact, I got a good handful of shows that I'm going to put on next year and I had three that I've put on this year so you know there's lots of festivals around the world that but primarily they come to us and we you know look at what they've got to offer you know as in agents or comedians that don't have agents or or yeah people on their own we have a programming um, um, email that they Mm. they email into and sell their show to us Um, and they should send us clips and everything on that yeah yeah totally totally and in terms of um (laughs) these are these are random questions i've been asked and i don't i don't understand them because i've googled them um i've been told to ask why was russell brand ejected from the gilded balloon in his early career well he wasn't ejected well um I googled this because I thought, is someone trying to set me up for something here? Um, no, Russell and I go way back. I met met him in um, the late 90s and I told him that he should come and do So You Think It Funny, which he did. And I got on very well with him and I put him on Late and Live and blah de blah And I had, he was doing a, he was comparing Best Of So You Think It Funny and... Uh, he was obviously a bit worse for wear in uh, whatever substances he was taking at the time. Mm. And he started preaching at the audience about uh, the murderer of those two young girls. At the, uh, there was two young girls who were murdered in England somewhere and he started preaching at everybody. And, and the the technical guy, the te- technician, put off his microphone, which was so stupid because it made him anger and he threw thing and he just... And so my front of house staff got the... got the... Um, uh, bouncers, and the bouncers came and carried him out and he put his leg through a, the glass um, door at the down in the 
nightclub and he cut all his leg and everything. He was taken to hospital. Yeah. And he wrote me a seven-page letter of apology saying how sorry he was and that, you know, bloody blah Sounds like he'd have a lot of time in hospital to write that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah. of course, that went down the fire, so I don't have it to show anybody. Oh. But we did, in one of his biographies, he... he um, had kept a letter that we sent him, my manager had sent him, because he was a bit like a Pied Piper um, character, you know, Fagin, and he had all these kids flying for him, but the kids were, you know, little scallywags that were going around pickpocketing all my customers and everything. So we had to have a stern word with him and say, look, stop it, these kids are too young to work, they shouldn't be working for you. Oh, you know... And um, we gave, and we wrote to him and said, you know, and he put it in his biography. <laughs> so that was quite funny. Amazing. Okay, ask her about Phil Kay. Who said ask me about Phil Kay? I don't Bob know. Bob Slayer. Was it Bob Slayer? I, I don't <laughs> think it would have been Bob because Bob's asked a lot no, of Phil questions. Phil Kay and I, I looked after Phil for over twenty years. As a manager. Or? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, and Phil was and still has it in him to be one of the best comics around. I mean, in the mid-90s, he was phenomenal. He was so funny, and everybody loved him. And um, and my theory, I mean, he would never listen to anyone, certainly not me. Um, I mean, he had the opportunities that... He had so many opportunities that he turned down, and in a way, I was his... Um, just he would phone me up he would only phone me up ever for money you know and I kept him going and you know he got he had some great the television companies were all interested in him and everything but in the late 90s he started smoking a lot of that skunk stuff and I think it made him a bit and I stayed with him as long as I could but eventually I just couldn't take it anymore and we didn't ever say goodbye you know and you know, I would I would get um, there might be some inquiries about him, and I would get in touch. But he always wanted to change things. He could never say yes, I'll do it. You know, any offer that came in, he would never say yes, I'll do it. Could you ask them to pay me cash? Could you ask them to do this? Could you ask them to do that? And I would do it as long as I could, and then it ended up not. Don't hate him at all. He's a very talented boy. But boy, when I say boy, he's the same age as my son. <laughs> He's um, he's just he missed a lot of opportunities, and my advice was always work really hard at the beginning, show them how good you are, make some money, and then you can choose. Once you've, you know, I mean that's what Tim was doing. You know, mm. I mean, he. Tim, Tim Minchin, by the way. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Tim Minchin. He he just knew that. An opportunity only comes along. What there's always someone new coming up behind you, you know. So you just get on with it, especially at the early part of your career. Do you, I mean that's a, a reoccurring problem that most industry people talk about is that everyone's kind of looking for the new young person. Well, they don't have to be young. Okay. <laughs> just new, you know. I mean, there is that thing—the arrogance of youth—and there. Their sort of uh, enthusiasm at the beginning, you know, that that wanes a bit once they've got somewhere, you know. But it's about knowing what you want and 
persevering, if you don't keep working and keep working, I mean, the Gilded Balloon has only gone on 31 years because I've kept on doing it. Mm. You know, the many a time I thought, I'm not going to do this anymore. But, and, you know, I've remortgaged my house more than once. I mean, many, many times, you know. Uh, how is uh, your daughter getting involved going to impact the future of the Gilded Balloon? Well, she's going to take it over. But, I mean, is she, is she following the same direction you've always had, or has she got some new ideas for... Oh, absolutely. It has to be her new ideas. She has to move it her way. And, um, I mean, I, I will continue programming and doing what I do, and her new ideas will come along. And, you know, at the moment, she's running the whole marketing and press team and um, learning what what we've done all these years. And, you know, she'll have her own input. So if the... And she's getting more and more confident every year, so... So if uh, the Scottish live comedy scene outside of the fringe is not vast, shall we say, why do you think, or what factors have made Edinburgh the place that the largest comedy festival in the world would be? Say that again, what was the last bit? Well, it, you said it's the largest comedy festival in the world, uh, Edinburgh. No, it's the largest arts festival in the okay, world. Okay, sorry. So, I mean, therefore I would say it's probably the largest comedy festival. I mean, Melbourne's a big comedy festival and um, Montreal, but um, we, the big four, uh, not, it wasn't my decision, it was uh, the other guys, wanted to call it a comedy festival so that they could get sponsorship and everything, which drove people like Stuart Lee and to not want to talk to or perform with us anymore, which I thought was a shame, you know, because he's such a talent. Um, and that was that was about ten years ago. All that hoo-ha was around. See, you don't even remember it. Well, so I'm trying to work out why a sponsorship deal would push away comedians. No, it wasn't. It was because we called it a comedy festival. Oh, OK, fine. And I, of course, said, if you have a comedy festival, you've got to have the stand in it. Mm. And the stand didn't want to be in it. Right. So, you know, you're not a comedy festival. You're, you're part of... I mean, because there was other comedy on, on offer than our four. Why did they not want to be part? Who? The stand. Oh, the stand don't like us either. <laughs> As in the big four? I, I actually get on very well with Tommy, but uh, he's left. As in the big four or just the, the Gilded Balloon? The big four. No, no, I, I get on fine with Tommy. He's got no problem with us, but he's, of course, now an MP, so yeah. it's taken a while for us and the stand to... A comedy, a Gilded Balloon and the stand to get on. I mean, uh, when they first came along, they were very... Um, aggressive to us, you know. Like, we are the grassroots of Scottish comedy. Yeah, well, I've been going 15 years longer than you, so how are you? But, you know. That's that's interesting that they wouldn't... Because like, you, you, you talk about it as if you're allies with the rest of the fringe and the, and the, yeah. and the businesses that are run around it. Yeah. So it would seem, and it should be like that. Yeah, it just seems weird that they would come along and immediately go... Well, not immediately go, but have a... Have a problem with you without necessarily like you said getting to know you yeah that's right and that lasted about 10 years the first 10 years of the stand they didn't talk to us at all and you know there, uh, there will be reasons for that but none that I want to go into no, I mean yeah. I nothing that yeah. nothing to do with me it's to do with the stands mm. in infrastructure 
What, what's your relationship like with the, the people that run free fringe venues? I don't really know them. I know um, Daryl. Daryl was really annoyed with me. Daryl, um, just a tonic, because he, funnily enough, he started taking over venues that I had already had. And he came and he was, because Underbelly had used to have the caves, just a tonic came in and therefore our big four became Underbelly and the cave uh, and the just a tonic. They started growing so big, and I said, "I can't. We can't have them, and there's not enough room for us all, mm. you know." And he's going to swallow. He he took another venue that I had opposite. Um, it was a nightclub. I'd done it for a year or two, and then he went in and got it. And you know, it's business. They they did that, and that's fine. But he was annoyed at me for for stopping him being in the big four because I just thought. And also, the quality of what he does is not, I think, as good as us. Some of it is, but some of it isn't. So I stopped him being part of that, and he wouldn't talk to me for a while. But And I went up to him at some reception and said, oh, what you, come on, what's going on? And he got in touch last year, the year before, and said, oh, have you got some piece of equipment? And I helped him get it. And, you know, that's what you do. You, you, you know. Could it, could it ever be the big five? Or no, that's what I'm saying. I no. stopped that. Okay. No, it can't be the big five because um, I would, I would then obviously become the smallest. And my the quality of what I've been doing in thirty years, I'm sorry to say this, Daryl, because what Daryl does is is it's very good. You know, just the tonic is a great venue and everything, but it's not the quality of what we do. As in, in terms of the venue or the shows that they put on, or the shows they put on. Some of them are. I'm not saying some of the shows are really good, but not all of them. I'm not. It's just it was starting to get. It's too big. Big four is big enough. Mm. I mean, it was actually the big three, and Underbelly wouldn't have been there without me <laughs> helping them, because I I when I burnt down in two thousand and two, when the Gilded Balloon burnt mm. down in the Cowgate, I split off from uh, Assembly and Pleasance and went with Underbelly and uh, marketed with them for about four years. And the assembly in Plains said, we want you back. And I said, well, I won't go back without Underbelly. How stupid am I? <laughs> Otherwise it would just become the big two and the big two or something. Yeah. yeah. That would have been an interesting... Although it was like that for two or three years or four years, I don't know how many. The, the interesting thing that I, I spoke to Earl Oaken about um, the Fringe a while ago, because he was coming to it a lot, and then the reason he said... I he put st- him on in 1985, Earl Oaken. Oh, OK. He, t- he told me the reason he stopped coming was when uh, the Big Four, or I think it was the Big Four at the time, got a bus or something and started oh, to... Oh, yeah, we had a bus. Yeah. And started to drive people to their venues, yeah. avoiding all the venues that... We're not. That was I wasn't avoiding Edinburgh's tiny. I, You're not avoiding anywhere. I'm. I'm just saying, saying what, what you said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it may not have gone past the door of the venue he was performing at, but you know, you can't. You kind of can't avoid being close to nearly all the venues. It was a bus that went from Assembly to Pleasance to Gilded Balloon. Why did like the that. bus stop existing? What? Why did the Why did you stop doing the bus? Because we couldn't afford it. Okay. We had sponsorship to do it. Oh, okay. It was a free bus. Mm. You know, perform uh, um, so that they could get to shows and stuff. It was a good idea, but we only did. I mean, we had cigarette sponsorship then. 
Oh, okay. Who are you, are you sponsored now? No. Okay. Is it a case, because uh, when I speak to other fringe festivals, so I was talking to uh, Leicester Comedy Festival when they were sponsored by Dave, and uh, I think it was Melbourne, uh, Melbourne Fringe I spoke to recently who were sponsored by Bank of Australia, and they were all saying to me that the sponsors essentially keep it going. Like yeah. they're, they're, they're the, the main source of income for Absolutely. most places. So is there a reason why you're independent in that respect? Or is it no, just we're not independent. One? We just haven't been able you just to. Haven't got we, we lost Foster's one fringe ago. Mm. So we've only had one fringe without. This is going to be the second. And sponsorship is really difficult to get. And unfortunately, because of our bar situation, the, the students' union take the bar sponsorship. And I can't get a, a deal off that, you know. We've got a little bit of money from Russian Vodka this year because the Students' Union want us to facilitate them. But other than that, and of course it's one of the things we're out, we're out looking for, mm, you know. Definitely. Um, these are the quick final questions. Okay. Uh, the quick fire for me, you take as long as you like to answer them. What are the best books on comedy writing stand-up that you've ever read? <laughs> I haven't read any, I don't think. I can't think of any. I, I remember, well, Malcolm Hardy wrote Through the Cake Hole or something. Oh, uh, or, no, Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury. Yeah. And, um, oh, that guy. No, I haven't read any. I've, I've got no. some. I've certainly got some at home, but I haven't read them. Okay. Uh, what is the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it? What was the biggest mistake I'd ever made and... How did you overcome it? I don't think it's mistakes I think it's learning curves like um, the counting house for example was the first time I had a company that was going to go down the toilet because you know financially and um, that was really hard you know because you learn the first people you have to pay is your staff and then and the next is your is your suppliers and uh, the last people you you pay as a council um, tax, <laughs> that and council tax. But all these things have got to be paid. And if you get to a situation where it's all, I mean, we were hem- hemorrhaging money for a while. When you've got the, the venue was um, a restaurant and bar, and so that was really hard when I had to give that up. But I overcame it with just sheer determination and paying back. Um, paying back over the years you know you you get into debt and you pay back hmm. you know okay um, what is the most interesting thing you do that nobody ever gets to see <laughs> uh, nothing rude <laughs> <laughs> uh, playing with my grandchildren I suppose okay none of them ever see my relationship with my grandchildren that it's you know uh, the middle one special needs and she's I help with respite for her because my um my son and daughter-in-law and the other two grandkids need some time away from her. And so I look after her at least once a week and then once a month the weekend and then a one or two weeks a year so they can get away. So um, I do that as much as I can. That's nice. Who is the most underrated person in the industry? Who is the most? The most. The most. There's probably loads of them are underrated. Uh, the top three then. <laughs> That's probably making it harder, anyway. Dylan Moran is certainly underrated and is not... And actually, he doesn't really want to do television very much, but he's a very talented guy. 
and Rob Rouse is very talented and um, doesn't get enough. Um, I, I should clarify. I'm talking about uh, industry people, not performers. Oh, sorry. No, you never. Yeah. You never said that. Sorry, sorry. When I said in the, in- I thought. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. In the industry, you mean underrated. When you say industry people, you mean agent. Any anyone who is usually not performing on stage. Let's put it that way. So we're talking agents, fringe promoters. Bruce Dessau is brilliant. Bruce Dessau is the. London Standard and mm-hmm. knows his comedy and he's a brilliant guy I think he's underrated I think he's lovely Charlie Briggs Charlie Briggs works for Hannah Chambers and she used to work for me and uh, Hannah Chambers poached her off me but and actually she used to work for Avalon as well and she is absolutely brilliant um, Julia Chamberlain who is my producer for So You Think You're Funny. She absolutely loves and knows her comedy to bits. Fred Southern as well, who um, runs Late and Live for me. Very hard-working girl. And they all, all these girls really know their comedy and know and work really hard at it. You know, Sorry, what is, what is the biggest problem in the Edinburgh Fringe and how would you go about solving it? The biggest problem? Um, well, the... The inter-venue squabbling, this thing with the free fringe and, and the big four, that's nonsense. I mean, I'm not saying that everything the big four or the others, other than the Gilded Balloon, do is right, you know, but I think there should be more discussion. There is actually, Rowan's not here because she's at the EIVP meeting, which is the venue... It's all the venues on the fringe that they get together. But the free fringe, they should talk to people more. I mean, the free fringe have got inter-venue squabbling as well, actually. Because, you know, uh, Peter Buckley Hill and someone else want... You know, they they lost venues or they... Mm. Anyway. OK, uh, this is the last one, don't worry. Sorry, look at your clock. Uh, well, it's actually just two-parter, which makes it annoying. What is the best bit of advice you've ever been given... And it doesn't have to be something you've used, just something you've been given. And if you had one bit of advice for a performer coming to the Fringe for the first time, what would it be? I'm not sure about the advice I've been given, but um, but I suppose deter- be determined and don't give up, you know. And as far as a performer is concerned, believe in yourself, believe in... You've, you know, you've decided that you're going on this path to believe in your own material and that you're good, you know. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. You know, you've got to believe in what you want to do. I always think it's sad when I see some people have gone into So You Think You're Funny and then they decide to give up. You know, if you're good enough, you shouldn't give up. You should keep going because you learn, you know, you learn more from your disappointments and your failures than you do from your successes. But the thing is, how you'd have to you'd have to be self-aware enough in yourself to know you're good. Well, for anybody to get up on stage to talk for an hour, you've got to be pretty self-aware and pretty good. For n- n- nobody, I mean, most people cannot stand stand up and talk for five minutes, let alone an hour. Mm. You know, so it's that it's honing that skill, and let's face it, it's about making people laugh. And if you don't make them laugh in the first couple of seconds, you know, give it up. 
thank you very much for coming on. That was Karen. I love chatting with her. I think we went from a bit of a defensive and stunted start where she even shouted, get to know me first, to a level of mutual respect. And I I think she she had such an earnest and honest take on the fringe and it was really fun to hear her perspective on things and the way she worked and, and how hard she works and what she's worked on for so many years. As she mentioned at the end, they are looking for a sponsor. So if you're a brand or somebody who represents a brand who thinks they might want to sponsor the Gilded Balloon, feel free to drop her or Katie an email. Their email is karen at gildedballoon.com or katie at gildedballoon.com. You can find those in the show notes. They're more than happy to talk to any brands that might be interested, although they'll be quite selective about which ones represent the Gilded Balloon in the way that they would like it to be. But I'll let that conversation happen between you guys. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also get a lot out of the other Edinburgh episodes, including Bob Slayer, who runs the Blunderbuss and the Bookshop, Alex Petty from Laughing Horse, Hills Jager from The Amused Moose, and many, many more. Seriously, in the show notes and on the website, go to the Edinburgh Fringe section, and if you're taking a show to the Fringe, you can hear the reviewers and the producers and the promoters who I've interviewed before. And if you've got any suggestions, feel free to email me, and I'll be more than willing to take on board any suggestions from you guys. That would be awesome. Finally, if you're new here, please do subscribe. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving it a review. If you've already given it a review, join the Facebook group. It's a free way of getting involved in the conversations that we're having on here. And if you are valuing my work in any way, shape or form, please consider sending me a donation over PayPal, which you can find on my website, or becoming a regular donor via Patreon from $1.00. That's 80p. If you think what you just heard is worth 80p, please do consider doing it. If you can't afford to do it on a regular basis, bung me 80p over PayPal. That's absolutely fine as well. All donations help continue to support the project that you care about. So thank you very much for that. Also, oh, also, if you live in Hastings, Shaftesbury, Oxford or Woking and you would like to see my show Buddhism and Cats, the tour is coming to your towns in the start of July. So please do consider coming down and supporting me at those. You can also bung me a donation at those. That's absolutely fine as well. Looking forward to meeting more people from the pod. I'm loving meeting people and bumping into people at gigs. So if you do find me at a gig or you do find me out and about, do come say hi. It, honestly, I, I, I enjoy it and I enjoy meeting the listeners of this because it means that it's not just an irrelevant number on a download screen. It's actually a person that I can put a face to. Until the next episode, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for reviewing. Thank you very much for donating if you do. And I will see you in about 10 days time. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.